I do honor the name of the Lord Jesus today. I'm giving thanks for another day. I'm giving thanks for this day. I'm giving thanks for the people of God who are here worshiping today. I'm giving thanks for you. I'm giving thanks for everything that the Lord has put in your life. Truly, we do have to take this opportunity to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus. He is worthy of our praise. And so today, one of the scriptures I was looking at, one of the most important scriptures in, in, in the Bible, really, it sets up everything we learn about the Christ. It sets up everything about his nature. And um, there's a story that goes back to this piece of history that I'm going to be reading today. Um, that I love today. Um, I still can't get off. I found a friend in Jesus. I don't know what it is. I can't get off it. He's everything. Because he's everything to me. I'm trying to get myself worked up to get into my message, but I, I, I'm feeling this on my inside that he is everything to me. You know, when, I, when we think about who our best friends are, you really think about those ones who were there for you when you were all the way down. Like you're thinking about those ones who were around when you, they really had no good reason to be around. When you think about your very best friends, they may not be the smartest people, they may not be the best looking people, they may not be the tallest people, they may not have the most money, but they were there for you when no one else would be. Like the best friends are the ones when everybody else said no to you, they were saying, yeah, when are we, we going? That is the friend we have in Jesus, who does everything for us. Who says, I will not let go of you. I'm going to not let you go down into the pit. I'm going to find you. I'm going to search for you. I'm going to help you. understand and fathers didn't understand and brothers didn't un and cousins couldn't do it he was there for us so when you find something this precious when you find something this precious you have no choice but to cherish it hold on to it never let it go that's why I cannot give up when I hear the song I have found a friend in Jesus it's everything it's everything some friends you know good and well some friendships have been no good for you some friendships have taken you in the wrong direction but not this friendship hallelujah glory to God not this friendship He's this friendship's everything you know your mom was right she says why are you hanging out with them and your mom was dead right and you didn't realize it until they were gone you said oh now I see why my life is going the right way not Jesus she wanted Jesus in your life because he was that kind of friend ah, so grateful so grateful sometimes sometimes songs are the best way for us to understand a moment and that's one of the things that we underestimate, I think, even in the church, even us who sing so much and shout so much and give that. Sometimes the word comes out of the song. Sometimes the word is right there in the message. In the, in the words of the song, I found a friend in Jesus. I found it, I found it. One of the key things about friends is that they bear burdens for you. 
Some friends are there closer than others. And some friends, when they find out, oh, you're in trouble, let me, let me help you. Let me, let me take some of the concern. You know some of our best relationships, what we do with some of our best relationships, is try to make sure that they're not getting overwhelmed. We get in their lives when things are getting worse. See, fake friends show up when everything's well. Good friends, the best friends, show up when everything's going disastrously. Like the worst is going on and they're saying, let's show up now for them because they're a friend. The good friends are only there on the sunny days. The great friends are there on the worst days. And I have found a great friend in Jesus. You know, I, uh, the friends that only show up when you're doing well are probably not the friends you can rely on when things are going badly. And so look for the friend in Jesus who is our burden bearer. I was reading this week um, a couple of scriptures uh, that I want to kind of go over today. Um, they're important scriptures because like I said, they do inform what we know about the nature of Christ, our friend. And um, in fact, now that I'm re thinking about this within the light of that song, my message has just to change just a little bit. Um, and also I'm realizing that I didn't get everything that the Holy Spirit needed me to get about the song, about the scripture until I heard that song, which again speaks to what we need in this moment. Let me, let me read the scripture. Um, let me read the scripture to you. It's in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8. As I've told you before, the Acts is an interesting book. It's a really important a letter written by the physician Luke, who was an apostle of Jesus. And he wrote this in the history that came just after Jesus' ascension into heaven. He wrote this about how they were establishing and creating the church, how they were setting up, how they were telling people about Jesus, how they were introducing people to Jesus. If you want to know what the early church looked like, you go to the book of Acts, right? That's where we go. And it is our intent here to fashion as closely as we can to the way they established the church. I'm not here, I'm not one of those ones who says, oh, that was in the old times. Because I really realize, you know what I realized is, the old times is just like the now times. You just didn't live it. Like, I mean, you take computers out of the, the, the equation, mm, 1920 is a lot like 2020. Like, if you take computers out, like pretty much people were liking each other, disliking each other, just now Facebook to tell you about it, right? Uh, popularity contests were happening, it just didn't happen on Instagram, right? Uh, people were bullying each other, it just wasn't cyber bullying, right? It was actual bullying, right? Things haven't changed as much as you think, especially in the heart of man. The, the, the thing that really hasn't changed is the heart of man. So whether we're talking 2,000 years ago or right now, the heart of man is still the same defective product it has always been. And Jesus is looking to help us fix that defect. Amen? I, I love this idea of the scripture. And so what's happened in this scripture, if I can set this up just for a moment, is that the church is being established. Jesus has in fact died, has rose again, has rose with all power and has given this, this authority to the apostles to preach the gospel of Jesus, yes. right? And so they're preaching and they're preaching and people are hearing about Jesus, some for the very first time. 
And the story I want to set up here is hearing about Jesus for the first time in this instance. The, the, the apostle, the, the preacher this time is Philip. And he's preaching. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And it reads thus, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. First verse of this is that he's saying, the angel speaks to Philip and tells him to get up. Arise and go to basically the desert. Get up, go to a place that doesn't have life. I want you to get up out of the safety of where you are right now and go to a place that's uncomfortable for life. Go to a place that really there's nothing there, but I want you to get up now and go. I'm realizing that the Spirit speaks to us. And because sometimes it doesn't feel like the right thing to do, like going to the desert, we could question that. Why you, the desert? Who's there? Why? When? The response we get from Philip is he gets up and goes. He hears the call and moves. <laughs> I sometimes realize sometimes that we're not even listening, let alone denying what the Lord is saying. But we're sometimes not even listening. But the Lord has told Philip, get up and move. Verse 27 gives the instance that he arose immediately and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So who does he see in the middle of the desert? A single Ethiopian. He sees this Ethiopian on a chariot. That already means that he's somebody who's not just a regular person. He's in what is essentially uh, um, a Rolls Royce of the time, as he were. He is, what we find out later, is that he's actually being driven in this because he asks them to, to stop the carriage. So he's not even driving it himself. This is a man of authority, a man with wealth, and a man connected to wealth. He's both the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia, and he's there with, um, with, and we'll read why he's here. And he says, if scripture says in verse 27, uh, had the charge of all her treasure, he's connected to money, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. This Ethiopian, we realize, this man from southern part of Africa, is coming to Jerusalem, not because he's just hanging out, he's come to worship. That means he has some intention towards God, and more specifically, the God of Abraham. He has intention towards the God of Isaac. He has this Ethiopian intention towards the God of Moses. He is sitting in this moment and he's gone to worship, and in fact, he's on his way back from worshiping. So you would think he's traveled, actually, I looked at the map last night, and Ethiopia to Jerusalem is 2,000 miles. 2,000, I'll say it again, 2,000 miles. That's the equivalent of going from Ohio to Nevada, almost to, almost to California. That's about 2,000 miles. Now, if you were to walk that distance, let's assume for a second you can walk the distance and you go three miles an hour, 10 hours a day. I calculated that too because I've got time. It would take you 66 days to get from Ohio to Nevada. 
So this guy has been on a huge journey to, and he's gone there for the single purpose of worshipping. And we sometimes complain <laughs> that we've got to go to church, don't we? We sometimes get frustrated, I'm going to church again, but imagine having to take 66 days and the only thing you're going there to do is worship. You see now how precious this moment was for this Ethiopian man. He's traveled, can you, 66 days, 10 hours a day. That's if you didn't take a day off. That's if you walked on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> That's if you walked 10 hours a day and didn't get injured once. You didn't stop for a rest for a moment. 66 days is a long time. <laughs> so he's traveled all this way. And the scripture tells us he's traveled all this way to worship. I think sometimes we take for granted our opportunities of worship. Right, we take, we, uh, it's just something we, no, no, no. This guy was like, can you imagine he's waiting the whole time just to get there to worship? Um, so and, uh, this, this kind of is powerful to me. It makes me get a bit more excited. On, on Sunday morning, I'm prepping myself for three hours getting ready for today. I'm thinking about this the whole time, but he took 60, at least 60 days of walking and traveling in a chariot just to get to worship. Ah, that's what dedication looks like. <laughs> that's, what, that's what persistence looks like. That's what dedication looks like. Let me keep going. Verse 28, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He's on his way back to Ethiopia. And he's reading Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. More specifically, he's actually reading, we find out from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, he's reading that. If you get that ready for me, I'm going to be coming to that in a moment. Thank you, Lord. So he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And then the Spirit said unto Philip, so the angel has told Philip, go to the desert. Now the Spirit specifically is telling Philip, I'm going to give you the details of what you've got to do now. Go connect yourself to that chariot, that Ethiopian chariot, you say, just walk, go over there. And the scripture says, then the spirit said unto Philip, go and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran. I love that. Like as soon as he realized why his purpose was, and he realized who he was here for, the spirit spoke to him and said, go. And he got up and ran. Purpose. What we've got here, are two different people with excitement and purpose in their heart, but going in completely different directions. One's come from worship to Jerusalem, he's going back to Ethiopia, and the other one has been sent to intercept him on this day and in this moment. The thing that is, I find fascinating is that if Philip hadn't listened to the voice of the Lord, or had he waited for one single moment, he would have missed this moment and opportunity to speak to this guy. That voice you hear speaking to you, telling you to move and telling you to go, you've got to start listening. Because had he been 20 minutes later, had he been one day late, <laughs> but what did he do when he heard the angel? Got up and went. What did he hear when he heard the spirit? He moved. We've got to be listening for the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I want to pray about is that we pray that the Holy Spirit takes permanent residence in us. 
like permanent residents, we need to be a church that is led by, filled with, moved by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, there's no point in having this church at all. Amen? Unless we are moved and, and, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, we'll find ourselves going in the wrong direction, showing up at the wrong time, being in the desert for no reason whatsoever. But we are going to be listening to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you, I'll get back to the message, but I'm going to ask you every time you enter this place, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, let your Holy Spirit take permanent residence in my heart. Lord, let your Holy Spirit take permanent residence in my heart. What are we doing when I'm praying this prayer? We are actually doing a thing that has been done since the early church. We are literally tarrying or waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's just simply the start of it. Tarry is to simply wait. That's all the word tarry means is to wait. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the Holy Spirit is important because without the Holy Spirit, Philip would never have spoken to this man. This man would have carried on his merry way all the way back 2,000 miles and wouldn't have known who Jesus is. I believe that the revelation of who Jesus is is connected to the Spirit and we have to ask for his Spirit to be in us. Amen? All right, let me keep moving here because I want to get through this. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, verse, verse 29, then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to the chariot. Get near the chariot. <laughs> and Philip ran to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and this is the, the Greek form of the word is Isaiah. Isaiah, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And said, understandest thou what you're reading? <laughs> Do you understand what you're reading? The thing about the scriptures, I think that we sometimes assume is that people understand it. They're enthusiastic about it, they love it, but you can never assume that they understand it. Because usually what you need, not usually, the entire time what you need to understand scripture is inspiration and faith. And this man is reading, he's, he's traveled 2,000 miles just to worship, you know he means it. You know he's enthusiastic about it. You know he means well. You know he's here for all the right reasons, but he still doesn't understand it. Do you get what I'm saying? We people with good hearts are missing entire messages because they don't understand. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing, not understanding, but we have to make room for the fact that somebody may not understand. That's why I'm taking my time this morning. I'm going to make sure we understand. Amen? All right, so Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, this is verse 30, and said, understand thou what thou readest. Do you understand the thing you're reading right now? You're writing it out loud. You're obviously on a long journey, and you've got a scroll in your hand that is pertaining to the Isaiah the prophet, chapter 53. Do you understand it? And what does he say? This, I love the humility of, the, of this man. He says, and he said, how can I? Why should you even assume that I can, except some man should guide me? I love this spirit. This is a humble, inviting spirit. This stranger has walked right up to him and has decided to connect himself to your chariot. And he's overheard you reading. And it says, do you understand what it is you're reading? 
Like you could take, like, like leave me alone and my precious carriage and let me make my way to Ethiopia in peace. That could have been one response. But his response is, how can I understand this? Unless somebody, what is he doing? He's inviting Philip in to teach him what the scripture says. A willing heart and a contrite heart, he will not deny. Let's just go keep going into the scripture here. And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him, immediately inviting Philip into his space. Amen. And he said, I, can I accept a man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he was read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Now I'm going to stop right there because I want to switch scriptures at this point. I want us to know what he was reading here. Like I want to sit in the scripture that he was reading so that we can inform what this, I want to know what Peter was, what Philip was hearing when he was walking up to this chariot. I want the details. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 and see the details. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53 begins this way. Who hath believed our report? Or put another way, who's believed this message? Thank you, Lord. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? This is what the Ethiopian, these thousands of years ago, was reading. Who is believing this message? It's important we understand who Isaiah is, and we important we understand why he was saying this. Isaiah is a prophet and a preacher to the people of God. They are, these people are in exile. These people are under oppression, and these people are without identity at this moment. And Isaiah is speaking to them and saying, I'm going, your identity is going to come back through the Messiah. You're lost now, but you're going to be found, and the Messiah is the one who's going to do it. So when the early church read this, and in fact when Jesus told them about the prophets, he saw himself, the Savior, in these scriptures. Amen? Isaiah 53 then, he says, For he shall grow before him as a tender plant. One of the things that is about prophecy is that it can be poetic. It can be a little bit mysterious. Because it doesn't always tell you the thing that you need to know straight down the line. It uses examples to show you. And this is no different. So what does it say? He shall grow up as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's going to look like a plant coming out of dry ground. Meaning, he's going to look like he's tender. He's going to look like he can barely take any burden. He's going to look like something new. And he also goes on to say that we're not going to look at him and see, oh, that's beautiful. That's right. That's good. We're not going to recognize him for what he is. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We're talking about a savior, right? Why don't we love the savior? Why is it that we are not immediately attracted to this savior. The problem that's happening here is that in order for him to be a savior, 
He has, there has to be an exchange. He has to take all the things that are bad about you and claim them, simultaneously taking all the good about him and giving it to you. So when you look at him, you necessarily see what is bad about you and not what's good about him. You, you see that? Let's keep reading this. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We are, the thing that should have happened to us is going to happen to him, and because it's happening to him, we're going to hide from it. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs. This is what I was talking about with a friend. It kind of took me in another direction. Surely he has borne our griefs. This is what I talk about. A higher founder friend in Jesus got me in an all another space. Why? Because this friend is taking on the thing that we cannot bear. It could be a simple. This is what a best friend does. You just mention, hey, I'm moving house on the weekend. And the best friend says, you need some help. I've got a couple of hours. Let me help you. Right. You haven't even asked yet. You haven't even really, you haven't even said, do you need a ride? You, can I help? I can pick up two suitcases and then I'm going to have to go. That's what a friend does. Like I can collect one thing for you. Like that's the thing that a friend does. What does Jesus do? Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our I don't know if you've ever had genuine, like you've been in a place that has been a burden to you and you're saying, if somebody could just take this burden for two hours, like just take this for a day, the thing that I'm struggling with and under oppression from, if somebody else could hold this for an hour, I could, I could just about make it. And Jesus is coming along and he's saying, the Savior's coming and the thing that is your grief and sorrow, he's going to help you carry it. He's going to help you bear it. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we dis, dis, did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We looked at him carrying our burdens, and we still assumed that God didn't like him. The truth is that the rage that was met out on Jesus should have been the punishment that was met out on us. Hallelujah. But he took our place. I'm almost getting to where I'm going. But he was wounded for our transgressions. This is what this man is reading, this Ethiopian man is reading. And he's trying to understand who's, who are they talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? Who's this prophet talking about? Because it sounds like something I need to connect with. But he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Transgressions are the things that you do wrong. Iniquities are your sins. He was bruised and he was hurt for your transgressions. And the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, the way he was hurt, healed us. This is what this Ethiopian on his way back from Jerusalem is reading. And he's trying to figure out who is this talking about? And then Philip walks up, literally right next to his chariot and says, do you understand what he's reading? Like the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and Philip moves. 
I'm asking you to be aware of the Holy Spirit in yes. you. And if he's not in you, to start praying that he's in you, yes. resident in you, amen? But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid him on him the iniquity of us all. We are like sheep and we've gone scattered. And rather than punish the sheep, the Lord punishing this one here. We're all doing our own thing when we want, whenever we want. And Jesus comes along and takes the hurt for all of us. I understand now why this Ethiopian man was fascinated by this character. Who is he? Who is he that's going to take all our pain and in exchange give us life? Who is this guy? Like, I want to get friends with this person. This person could, could change my entire life. Verse 7, which I think is exactly where the scripture picks up here. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He could have opened his mouth and explained, I'm not the one you should be beating at any moment. But the scripture says he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And this is how bad the, what the prophet is seeing he gets. He says, and who shall declare his generation? Who's going to declare his genealogy? Who's coming after him? He doesn't have any kids. How is he going to be, how is he going to be remembered? <laughs> for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. This is what the, the prophet, he's reading from the prophet in this scripture. Let's go back to Acts. Because now we can pick up and understand what he's, what he's talking about. Verse, Acts chapter um, Eight, what verse am I at? Verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to the chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and it said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come and, and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. You see it now? And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch, eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. Who does he talk about? Remember, Philip doesn't have the New Testament like we do. All he has is this old book with the Isaiah and the Zechariah and the Habakkuk, and he has all these other prophets. And he has to look at that scripture and preach Jesus. Like he's not, he's not referencing what Mark said. It's not been written yet. What he's doing is looking at the, the prophets that they know or should know and he's preaching Jesus so what have I just been doing from Isaiah chapter 53 preaching nothing but Jesus 
that Jesus, when Jesus died for our sins, it was so that we could have life even though he took death. Then Philip opened his mouth and began to, to, at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I want to share one more scripture before I move on. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 18. It's one of my favorite scriptures. They all are, to be sure. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Somebody could find that for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 18. 5, 18. And yes. all things yes, that's right. are of God. Yep. Who has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ. <laughs> and has given just, us just, just on that, that, read that first, just the first few words again. And all things are of God. All things are of God. The next part is what I'm really, really interested in. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. That's the part I wanted to, to, to do. You know what the word reconcile means? To restore friendly relationships. Like the, the, the point of God sending Christ was to restore a broken relationship. <laughs> I have found a friend in Jesus because you didn't have one. You didn't have a friend. And the point of Christ was to restore friendly relationships between you and God. That's what we get when we get Jesus. We get a friendly relationship. Like, Lord, I'm not that good. Well, I've taken it out on him already. He's bruised for you already. Do you see that? Let's keep going, sir. And all things are of God. Yes. Who has reconciled us. The reconcile is caused to exist in harmony. He has caused us to exist in harmony. Another definition of that is settled a disagreement. Jesus gets to settle disagreements between us and God. <laughs> Let's keep going. And who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Right. That has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the other part. Why am I so excited about talking about this? Because I was given something here. I was given the ministry, the service of reconciliation. My job, my service to you. Is to restore friendly relationships between you and God. Like I want to make sure everything. And how do I do that? Through introduction of who Jesus is. That's just my job. That's what I do. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here. Keep going. To wit. To know. To wit means to know that God. That God was in Christ. It was God doing this the whole time. If Jesus was designed to create friendly relationship between us and God, and then the next verse says to know that God was in Christ. He was doing it the whole time through Christ Jesus towards me. That's his kind of love, isn't it? He says, okay, I'm going to fix this relationship. I'm going to disguise myself. Come down to earth and fix it. Meanwhile, you're stubborn behind, you're stubborn part of the whole relationship, refuses to, to make a move, but he's put himself in flesh and says, I'm gonna fix this broken relationship. That's a friend. I have found a friend, I've found a friend. Amen, keep, keep going. To wit that God was in Christ, yes. reconciling the world unto himself. Fixing the relationship with the world, settling the disagreement, yep. Not imputing their trespasses. Not blaming them. Thank you, Jesus. Who did he blame instead of blaming them? 
He put it on Christ. Isaiah 53, surely he hath borne our griefs. You see that? He was the one who took the blame. He's not imputing it to you. He's not blaming you for your trespasses. Let's keep going. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And then when he doesn't blame them, he turns around to us and he says, I don't want you to do it either. I want you to not blame them either. I want you to make peace too. <laughs> Amen. You have the spirit of recreation, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's keep going to verse 20. Now, yeah. then we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm a representative of Christ. I'm not going to represent my own position. If he says to there to be reconciled, if he says it's to be peace, yes. I'm just going to say the same thing. I'm, his, I'm saying the thing he's saying. Let's go. Now we are the ambassadors of Christ for Christ, as though God did beseech us by by excuse me, beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, ye be reconciled to God. So I'm gonna act like God is saying it through my mouth to you. Be reconciled to God. I'm gonna act like he's just saying it and I'm just the one talking. But he's asking you to make peace with God, to settle this disagreement once and for all. He wants to be your friend. He's not going to blame you. He's not going to ask you to pay for it. He's going to pay for it himself. He's going to come down in Jesus and make sure that it's fixed. What kind of friend? How can you reject a friend like this? Let's keep going. Verse 34. He has made him to be sin for us. Oh, wow. Who knew no sin. Oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, this is where it ties back into Isaiah 50, 53. He has made him to be what? Sin for us. Sin for us. Who knew no sin. So wait a minute. Jesus, you're telling me that the Lord is, is to wit to know that God was in Christ. Yes. And he's saying, I'm going to make this one who I am in sin for you. Yes. So what? Who knew no sin. Who knew no sin. That we may <laughs> made the righteousness of God in him. <sighs> he's saying to us, I'm, gonna, I'm so intent on fixing this relationship. Can you imagine if your parents did this for you? This wouldn't have been the way it went down for us. We used to get a whooping and they wouldn't turn it on themselves. Absolutely. You know what? You, you did the wrong. I'm going to whoop myself so that you don't have to bear it. That never would have happened. <laughs> that would have never happened. You did it. You pay for it. That seems fair to me. But he said, you did it, let me pay for it. <laughs> Can you imagine a judge? You, you, you've got a 15 unpaid parking tickets. And the judge says, oh, you owe $2,700. Um, it's due today. Otherwise, you go straight to jail. And the judge says, you know what? Don't worry, don't worry about it, Mark. Here you go. Here's a check. Let me pay this for you so that you're okay. Ridiculous, would never happen. Or he says, let me go to do the sentence for you. Never happen, right? But this is the kind of friend we have in Jesus. This is the friend we have. Let's just read verse 21 again. Four, he has made him to be. He made Jesus. To be look exactly like a sinful person for us. Like he took everything that was ours and made Jesus hold it. Ah, that's the kind of friend we have, yes? And he was never to blame. Let's keep going. That 
we might be made the righteousness of God. Just so that we might be the righteousness of God. You still got the chance to reject it. You still have the chance to turn down this friendship. But the idea that you might be the righteousness of God was enough. You can still say, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm good on my own. And he still was willing to die for you. Just that you might be the righteousness of God. So let's go back to Acts. I, I, I want to get out of your way. I'm, I'm almost done here. So chapter 8 and what verse was I at? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, Isaiah 53, what I've been reading, and preached unto him Jesus. Hallelujah. Preached unto him Jesus. I've lost where I am. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuchs said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Whatever, whatever Philip preached, whatever Philip preached in those moments as they were going along, and I'm sure Philip was happy to stay on that chariot as long as was necessary. But in that moment, he preached Isaiah 53, read it and said, this is pointing to Jesus. And from his own mouth, he said, wait a minute. If this is what you're saying, what does he say? <laughs> And he says, as they went on their way, they, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, see here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? <laughs> Weren't we in a desert just a few minutes ago? Didn't we explicitly land this story at the very beginning? In the desert. But here, conveniently for your saving, is water. I needed to catch you on this day. I needed to listen to the angel on this moment. I needed to listen to the spirit in this moment so that we could be in this spot so that you could know who Jesus is so that he could give you baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. This was not an accident. This was not a misstep. This was the purpose of God. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So what does he say, verse 37? And Philip said, if thou believe yes, <laughs> with all thine heart, thou mayest in fact be baptized. This is, in fact, this scripture tells us the most accurate depiction of what baptism must have looked like. And it is from this, this and many other scriptures that we inform how we do baptism. So what does he say? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ He's saying the Savior, the Messiah, the Isaiah 53 version of Jesus. I believe that Jesus. I want him to be my friend. And he says, is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. This is, this is the, the eunuch commands the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Now I told you about aspersion and effusion before. That's both sprinkling and pouring. You don't sprink, get down into sprinkling and you don't get into water, right? You can't get into pouring. So what is he asking to do? He's getting into baptism, which is baptizio immersion, right? And he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, 
and he baptized him. Verse 39, and when they were come out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The assumption for this moment, the assumption for this moment was that eunuch thought he was in Jerusalem just to worship. And I disagree. The eunuch had traveled 2,000 miles, not just to worship, but to get introduced to who Jesus is. And because Philip listened to the word of the Lord and because Philip listened to the voice of the angel, because Philip listened to the voice of the spirit, he met him at the right moment with the right message, with the water, with the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he was able to give baptism. My entire purpose is the spirit of reconciliation. If you, if your friends, need baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is my intent to baptize everyone who would receive him. In the name of the Lord. I have now the spirit and the ministry of reconciliation. I'm trying to make people get their lives back in order with God. My prayer for you today is that you would reconcile yourselves. Thank you Lord Jesus. That you would in fact draw closer to the Lord. That when you hear who Jesus is, that you would respond by saying, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And if you believe that thing, I will baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to hand over to our minister now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Please receive him the word of amen.